This is Ultra Running History Podcast, and I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. It looks like all of my fans are here today. Both of them. Thanks for coming. This is episode three. In the last episode, I mentioned an early ultra runner who ran against the horses. In this episode, I'll share the story of Hard Rock Simpson, a popular and colorful ultra runner from North Carolina who ran from 1927 until 1963. Paul Hardrock Simpson of Burlington, North Carolina, was an elite, colorful, professional ultra runner of the late 1920s who worked to continue the sport during the Great Depression. He was one of the very few talented ultra-distance runners of that period who bridged to the post-war modern era of ultra-running in the 1950s. With creativity, charisma, and strong performances, he successfully captured the imagination of the nation during both the very difficult times of the 1930s and the post-war era of the 1950s. During both of these periods, he was recognized as one of the greatest long-distance runners in America. Remember to check out the article on ultrarunninghistory.com, which has many historical pictures related to this episode and many more details. Paul Simpson was born in 1904. When he was a child on the family farm, he had to do the shopping. The nearest store was two miles away, and instead of walking, he ran the four miles to and from the store. He said, quote, I couldn't see the point in wasting time walking the distance, so I just dug my toes into the hot sand and ran the entire distance. In high school, he was given the name Hard Rock by his high school classmates at Burlington High School, where he, quote, ran and ran on straightaways or in circles. He was durable and defiant to physical wear and tear. Hard Rock entered Elon College, where he starred on the track team and set a state record in the six-mile run. In 1927, at the age of 19, a carefully planned publicity stunt was devised by leading businessmen in Burlington as a way to gain more national recognition and business for the city. Hard Rock agreed to race a Texas pony from his hometown of Burlington to Moorhead City on the coast and then to come back for about 500 miles. In the early stages, he and the horse traded the lead but by mile 35, Hard Rock took control. After 62 miles on the first day, the two exhausted contestants turned in for the night. By the next afternoon, the horse was leading. Cars lined the road, cheering them on in various towns. Accounts about the finish on the third day vary and changed significantly as Hard Rock's legend grew. The true story is that at about mile 144, a doctor determined that Hard Rock's foot was infected and that he needed to stop. He did. The horse was also in poor shape, too, with stiff legs, five miles ahead of Hard Rock. They both stopped, but Hard Rock did not win. But the story changed in the years to come. Perhaps the city businessman purposely told a different story, or maybe Hard Rock did. The story told through the years stated that Hard Rock stopped running when he learned that the horse dropped dead 25 miles behind him and that Hard Rock was declared the winner. This was not true. Perhaps after the false story was published and always told, 
Hard Rock decided to embrace it. It was a great story for publicity that he and the city sought for. But the outcome told by Hard Rock over the years wasn't true. While still in college, Hard Rock applied and was accepted to run C.C. Pyle's 1928 Bunyan Derby race across America in daily stages. Many were critical of the race, and a doctor predicted that, quote, five to ten years should be shaved off the runners' lives. Another man hearing that the runners would be checked out by doctors before the race commented, well, if a man enters a 3,000-mile foot race, the first thing to do is examine his head. <laughs> the race would generally follow what was known as Route 66, which was still largely unpaved, so it was mostly a trail race. With very little money, Hard Rock hitchhiked all the way to Los Angeles for the race. While sleeping in New Mexico, someone slipped into his room and stole $84. Many Burlington citizens sent him money once they learned about the robbery. Hard Rock and the other runners camped out near the start for several weeks, getting trained and waiting for the race to start. Hard Rock wrote home, quote, I am not studying history now. I am trying to make history. Indeed, he was. The race began on March 4th, 1928. Hard Rock, quote, breezed out in the beginning, showing the famous trotters the way. He finished the first day stage in seventh place. Before entering Arizona, Hard Rock and others significantly slowed because of physical problems. He developed bad shin splints and blisters because his shoes were too narrow. Some people suggested that his name be changed to Hard Luck, but he kept going and climbed the standings. Pyle said of him, quote, that boy has guts, plenty of guts. Hard Rock's left foot was in such poor shape that he had to wear a plaster cast. Some days it took him 18 hours to finish a segment, leaving him little time for sleep. In Oklahoma, Hard Rock was 214 hours behind the first place runner. By the time they reached Pennsylvania, he was running strongly and his problem foot had healed up. He started taking the lead in the daily segments and won one segment in upstate New York climbing into 39th place. The 84th day arrived for the finish at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Hard Rock finished in 36th place out of 77 finishers. 199 runners started the race. He returned to Burlington that week where the city lavished him with attention. By finishing, he joined an elite company of runners who would be known through the ages as pile runners. Hard Rock again entered the Bunyan Derby in 1929, one of very few who did. This time, the route was from New York to Los Angeles. 104 runners started, many from other countries. Hard Rock was confident that he could win this year. The race was much more competitive because of the quality of the runners was higher. The race took 78 days, six days quicker than the previous year. It rained 50 of those days with downpours in the southwest. Hard Rock finished 5th in Los Angeles, only 61 hours behind the winner. 
only 19 of the 104 starters made it to the finish. The high placing for Hard Rock brought national attention. He became recognized as one of the, quote, greatest marathoners ever. He won $2,500, but he was never able to collect it, despite winning a lawsuit against Pyle. As the Great Depression started to rage, events for the professional ultrarunners in the United States were disappearing, but in Canada there were still opportunities for potential prize money. Hard Rock and other Pyle runners went north of the border in 1930. A 500-mile relay event was established from Montreal to Quebec City and back. It was named... Peter Dawson Relay, after a brand of whiskey, and had a purse of $10,000. Competitors in two-man teams ran various segments through eastern Quebec towns over an eight-day period with daily segments up to 80 miles. Hard Rock didn't train very hard for this very long race, and he didn't last long in the relay because he had been struggling with sore feet. His trainer pulled him out of the race by about the fourth day in order to save him for future races. The British legend from South Africa, Arthur Newton, organized an indoor invitational 24-hour race in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, hoping to break the world 24-hour record. Hard Rock and other pile runners were invited to compete on a square banked track 12 laps to a mile held in a tent. Hard Rock pulled a muscle in his leg but continued on and placed fourth with 116 miles. Newton was the winner with a world record 152 miles. In 1931, Hard Rock again ran in the 500-mile Peter Dawson relay. On one 47-mile day, his partner had a sore leg, so Hard Rock ran the entire 47-mile segment himself, allowing his partner to rest that day. A Montreal newspaper stated, quote, The hero of the day was without any doubt Paul Simpson. Hard Rock's team finished ninth out of the ten surviving teams. In 1933, Hard Rock ran in an individual 407-mile, nine-day stage race from Montreal to Quebec City and back. It was probably a solo version of the Peter Dawson relay that was only held those first two years. 27 runners entered, including other pile runners, and 10 finished. Hard Rock came away with the win. As Hard Rock sought the public spotlight in later years and would transition into a solo artist, he would claim a few obscure and unverified world records. In a letter from Canada to his local newspaper, Hard Rock sounded a little like the future Muhammad Ali. He said, quote, I stand today the best real long-distance man in the world, bar none. He may have succumbed to the temptation of overstating his accomplishments at times, as he did with the 1927 race against the horse. Nevertheless, during the era, he had speed and endurance and was one of the most colorful and talented ultra-distance runners in America. He helped hundreds of thousands over the years understand that running ultra distances was possible. In 1933, Hard Rock ran in a couple of remaining ultras in New Mexico and Arkansas and won them. Still seeking prize money, Hard Rock resorted to entering a walkathon. These were bizarre and corrupt competitions slash events that were popular in the 1930s. 
see my article on walkathons on ultrarunninghistory.com. After 62 days, it didn't end out well for him. One night, he fell to the floor unconscious and was taken to the hospital in Greensboro, North Carolina, an ending that he kept quiet. He remained in the hospital for several days resting. Once he recovered, he sued the walkathon management, contending that he had been assaulted numerous times by professionals in the event. Two men were arrested. The management eventually settled with him for a portion of the prize money. With his eyes on the Berlin Olympics, in 1936, Hard Rock tried to convince an amateur board to grant him amateur status. He presented data showing that the prize money that he actually received was far less than his actual expenses. Even though he wasn't eligible for the Olympics, he registered for the Olympic trials at the Boston Marathon. He grew a handlebar mustache as a disguise, used Paul Simpson as his name, and gave a Florida address. He placed fifth with a time of 2.43, but did not make the Olympic team. After 1939, at the age of 35, Hard Rock retired for about 10 years from running competitions and exhibitions. It makes you wonder how well he could have run in his ultra-running prime years if there had been events at the time to truly compete in. In 1950, Hard Rock appeared again in the news regarding his running exploits. Perhaps he missed the spotlight. Instead of running in races, which were still very few and far away, he moved into being a solo artist, setting up his own events. That year, he started to do birthday runs running his age in miles. He teamed up with local businessmen to be sponsored and drew people to their businesses for the start and the finish of his runs. His runs got national attention, including articles in Time magazine and later Sports Illustrated. Someone came up with the brilliant idea for Hard Rock to team up with local minor league baseball games. He started to run around the fields during the games. For example, during a double header, he ran around the inside barrier of the park 111 times for 26.6 miles. He repeated this stunt many times during the coming years. It was a very successful sideshow, beneficial to both hard rock and to baseball. He said, quote, I run from the first pitch to the last. Those long games don't bother me a bit. I guess I run 18 miles during a game, about 25 during a double header. I watch the game while I run, and I know enough to get out of the outfielder's way. <laughs> I've been hit by a foul tip only once. In the early 50s, races reappeared nearby, and Hard Rock participated in some. In 1954, Hard Rock ran in a bizarre 21-mile walking contest, which he won and was awarded a calf. <laughs> when he came in second in a 15-mile walking contest, the news stories had headlines stating that he was not the world champion that he claimed to be. In 1958, Hard Rock again ran against a horse, this time in a 157-mile race in Utah with two other veteran professional runners against three horses. See episode 2 about the man versus horse races. A horse won the race and was more than 57 miles ahead of Hard Rock, who went on until mile 118. Curiously, Hard Rock had continued difficulty telling the truth about his races with horses. Two years later, he inaccurately told a reporter, quote, In Utah in 1957, one horse beat me by two hours. 
We ran from Salt Lake City to Roosevelt, but he dropped dead. No horse dropped dead, and Hard Rock didn't finish. This version of the race evolved into a story that he ran a horse to death in this race and finished 157 miles in 31 hours. No, he reached 118 miles in about 35 hours, which was about 10 hours slower than the runner ahead who had also dropped out at this point. Without ever beating a horse, Hard Rock turned to racing a mule for 18 miles as part of Benson, North Carolina's annual Mule Day celebration. The crowds along the route were numbered at about 15,000 people. The mule won by 15 minutes. In a rematch the next year, the mule beat him again, this time by 20 minutes in 30 miles. In 1962, Hard Rock gave up the birthday runs and pretty much gave up running at still the relatively young age of 58. In 1963, he walked one of the JFK 50-mile events held that year. In 1977, Hard Rock experienced several small strokes and then a big one in 1978. He died at the age of 73 with about 160,000 lifetime miles. In the newspaper article announcing his death, it ended with, quote, Now philosophers will argue whether he might have lived longer if he had left running to someone else, or if he would have died ten years ago without it. Today, at a historical railroad depot in Burlington, North Carolina, there is a mural on the wall honoring the city's favorite running hero. He is depicted as a young-looking hard rock in his running trunks. Today, few remember him, but he deserves to be in a prominent position in America's ultra-running history for that era. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.